Hello everyone and welcome back to First Hand from First Gen. My name is Lauren and today I'm super excited to introduce you all to Massachusetts Representative Adrian Madero. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you Lauren. So excited to be here with you. We're so excited to have you and really interested to hear so much about your career. Um, but to start, we'd just like to ask a little bit of basic information about you and your background. Do you mind telling us about your background? Certainly. Well, I am born and raised in East Boston, which is uh, the only geographically separated neighborhood in the city of Boston. So if, uh, for the folks who live uh, in any other neighborhood in the city, East Boston is the neighborhood across the Boston Harbor. It is a gateway immigrant community. Uh, and like so many of my neighbors, I am first generation. My dad came over from Italy about 40 years ago. And my mom is of Italian American descent, who was also born and raised here in East Boston. Brilliant. And where did you go to school? Undergrad, law school? I went to undergrad at Tufts University and also did my master's there. And then I uh, was an evening student at the Suffolk University Law School program. Wrapped that up uh, just about, I want to say maybe in 2019 and uh, got sworn into the Massachusetts bar uh, during the pandemic. So it was a very interesting experience. That's very cool. So what brought you to law school? You know, uh, pursuing, uh, pursuing the law was actually something I was always interested in. Um, I'm a talker, and, which is uh, good for my profession as a state uh, legislator. Uh, but I always saw law as a really amazing opportunity to leverage uh, my love of speaking and of working with people to actually do some good um, by uh, working with the law, uh, which is such a powerful tool to advance issues that I think we collectively care about. Oh, definitely. That's awesome to hear. Did you have any working experience um, during or before you went to law school? Yeah. Uh, I, so before I ran for office, I was originally the legislative aide uh, for my predecessor, Carlo Basil, uh, another first generation American, by the way. Um, and I started working for him when I was a senior and undergrad at Tufts University. So started off as his only legislative aide, stayed with him maybe five, six years, ultimately serving as his chief of staff. Uh, and then he took a, you know, he left and, and took a job uh, with the Baker administration and uh, I decided to run for the seat. So um, all my professional experience uh, since undergrad has been in the state house and it's a building I, I know and love very well. And certainly the work uh, is super impactful. And I mean, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything that I would love more, Lauren, than being an agent of positive change for my community. It really is a special, uh, special opportunity to have. That's so wonderful to hear. And I'm definitely interested um, to know a little bit about how you got involved in politics in the first place. It sounds like you've been interested for quite some time. So what kind of turned you into it in the first place? Well, as I mentioned, you know, my dad is an immigrant from Italy, uh, but my mom is a longtime uh, East Boston resident her whole life. And she is uh, really uh, one of my strongest inspirations and role models in my life because uh, she and my mom's side of her of the family have been uh, staunch community activists in East Boston for uh, decades, um, really on the forefront of uh, battling issues like environmental justice uh, or injustice, I should say. We are host to Logan International Airport, um, major highways, tunnels, uh, many issues that lead us as a community to having a disproportionate impact on environmental burdens. Um, but, you know, aside from environmental justice, there are so many other issues that my mom and, and, and her family uh, have worked on over the years. So I very much grew up plugged in, um, attending rallies, attending, you know, civic, uh, civic uh, engagement, uh, different, different opportunities to just get involved and roll up my sleeves. 
Um, and, and really, she instilled in me a, a deep love and pride uh, in community. And so when I had the opportunity as an undergrad, and I had done you know, various internships in the political uh, sector prior, but when I had the opportunity to serve as the legislative aide uh, for my predecessor, the previous state rep, I just saw it as the perfect culmination of kind of my community activism, uh, but where the rubber meets the road in terms of actually uh, working on policy that could uplift, enhance, and support uh, the work that community activists and advocates do on the ground effectively each and every day. That's so cool. I do want to ask, so how did you get involved with the former East Boston State Representative? You know, it, this is, I think, you know, for, for any, uh, any students who are listening, I think this is such an important piece of life advice. But, you know, relationships are so critical uh, to, to success. And I, I have been uh, a, a big uh, proponent of, of finding mentors in my life, starting in high school and before, uh, and in turn, uh, of, of, of trying to mentor others to, in order to, you know, pay that forward. And it was a mentor of mine uh, who pursued a, a similar uh, public service internship program when we were both students at Boston Latin School, uh, which is a high school in the city of Boston. Um, and, you know, East Boston is a small, tight-knit neighborhood, and uh, he heard of a job opportunity to be the legislative aide uh, for the state rep. And, I, you know, my family and I didn't know uh, that individual particularly well, um, but I kind of took a leap of faith. And despite not yet having my undergrad degree, because uh, I was still a senior and, and, and undergrad, um, I decided to apply, you know, for the opportunity. And um, it really was uh, leveraging the relationship I had with that mentor who, uh, helped me get my foot in the door. And um, I think like many young people at the time when I was applying, I, I battled a lot of uh, kind of self-doubt, right? I'm too young to work here. I don't yet have my college degree. He won't hire me. Um, you know, I kind of belittled all the previous experience I had. And I think that's normal, right? I think we've all had feelings of self-doubt, but you got to push through that wall and be, be confident in yourself and uh, leverage the relationships that you've built and the mentors that you have. And that's how I ended up in the state house. And but for that opportunity, I wouldn't be the state rep today. That's so cool. I mean, I can attest that as law students, we are constantly told to leverage our networks and how important networking is. So it's really interesting and really neat to hear just how well that has worked out for you in your career so far. Um, I definitely want to talk a little bit about, you know, your daily life as a representative, but you touched on a really important point about um, imposter syndrome, especially um, just kind of being a pervasive thing that we all experience at some point in our life. And I just it would be really awesome to hear you talk a little bit about how um, you've experienced that and, and especially as a politician and, and how you've persevered through that experience. I mean, look, I think imposter syndrome is very real. And, you know, I, I have felt that in various stages of my life, not only in the time that I just explained when I was first applying to be the legislative aide. I also felt that when I made the decision to run for office, I was 26 years old at the time. I, you know, I was going to be the youngest candidate in the race. Uh, my only uh, relevant experience was working in the state house, which is obviously relevant to the role, but, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily as diverse as some of the other candidates uh, in their professional experiences. And I had those same feelings of self-doubt. I think that's particularly acute for folks who are first generation, um, because oftentimes we are the first in our family to be doing uh, something. In this case, it was for me, it was going to law school. It was also running for office. Um, you know, and, and making the decision to run for office was was also challenging because I, I had just wrapped up the first semester of 1L at Suffolk Law as an evening student. And 
uh, running would have, you know, required me to take off a full year in order to come back as a 1L second semester, right? Um, and, you know, I, would, I also had to leave my job at the Statehouse, which meant no income. Um, so, I mean, I think there was a lot of, a lot of things that contributed to the self-doubt and, and to, the, to the feelings, you know, of, a, of the imposter syndrome in terms of, do I actually belong in the space? Is this something I can do? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, and I think you touched on this, Lauren, when you, when you mentioned, you know, the importance of networking. Uh, I'm also blessed beyond having wonderful mentors. I'm blessed to have a very strong support system of friends and in family uh, here in the community and, and more broadly. And I often lean on them in, in, in difficult when I'm trying to make difficult decisions uh, that have serious life ramifications, like deciding to run for office and putting law school and your life on hold. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, what I would say is uh, it's normal to, to have those feelings. Uh, but, you know, I think we're all equipped to rise to the challenge and, and to the occasion. And, you know, it's never, you know, people should never be shy to seek out uh, help from others and ask questions uh, of those who have done it before, uh, even if it's not within your own family, you know. And uh, for me, it was reaching out to those mentors who had gone to law school, had run to run for office, um, and that kind of helped solidify that in my mind that this is something I can do, that I am qualified to to run for office, that um, you know that the community will have my back. And uh, I'm I'm just very grateful that I listened to those people because that helped me combat those feelings of self doubt and led me on the road that I'm at on today. Thank you so much for that answer. That's just so amazing to hear. I, I know we all have our, our families and our communities to rely on. Um, really important to remember that, you know, they'll be there to support us no matter what. I'd like to switch gears a little bit um, and just talk about, you know, your career as as you are today, especially uh, maybe we'll start with what was the campaign trail like? <laughs> so it's an interesting question, Lauren, because uh, I don't know if you were in the city in the winter of 2015, but oh, I was. Okay, so then you remember well. So it was the worst winter in the history of Boston, right? And and uh, you know there were there were 12 foot snowbanks all over the place, and I was running in what's known as a special election, which means it wasn't. Uh, on the regularly occurring election cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, while uh, most sane individuals in East Boston and beyond were enjoying the snow days, you know, watching Netflix snuggled under a blanket and sipping hot cocoa, I was the crazy person with icicles hanging from his eyelashes, knocking on the doors of East Boston residences of navigating these tremendously big snow banks, um, trying to make the case that, you know, people should uh, vote for me as the state rep. And, uh, you know, it was it was really fascinating because, you know, despite the challenges of weather and logistics, what uh, what was pretty remarkable was the fact that, you know, the conditions actually allowed um, almost fostered a, a more um, homey or, or kind of a more uh, community centered environment where people would invite me into their homes, offer me a cup of coffee or you know something warm to eat. Um, you know, come in, let's have a conversation at the kitchen table, you know, get out of the cold for a few minutes. And it really did open up opportunities for me to have those dialogues uh, about my positions and about why I thought I was, you know, best equipped to be the state representative. Um, but, you know, aside from the conditions, I think in the city of Boston, we're, we're a very political city, open seats are, are very rare. Um, and so it was a, it was, it was a crowded race. There were uh, six of us running at the time. 
Um, and, you know, it was just a, it was really a fascinating opportunity to uh, engage in dialogue that doesn't happen often when there aren't open races like that about what we all wanted or, or, or saw for the future of our community and the vision that we had for our community. And um, I'll just always be eternally grateful for um, the folks in East Boston who gave me this opportunity as a 26 year old uh, to represent our community in the halls of the state house. And I, I mean, I just find this to be the most rewarding uh, job I could ever have because at the end of the day, this is the community that welcomed my dad as an immigrant from Italy, that raised me and my mom, that welcomed my wife as a, a young professional who moved into the community. Uh, we met at Tufts University as undergrads. And, and for all of us, this community has embraced and uplifted us. And now I have the opportunity to almost, you know, give back in my, in my capacity as the state rep and trying to move the community forward and be an agent of positive change. And and to help our neighbors with any and all concerns that they have. It is just unbelievably rewarding, and I love my job. That is just such a wild and wholesome story. I'm so glad you shared that with us. I remember that winter. It was absolutely insane, um, but I'm so glad that it – I'm really glad it fostered such a great environment for you and your campaign. I mean, it sounds like you are the perfect person to be in this position. East Boston is lucky to have you. Thank you, Lauren. I really appreciate that. It's, you know, I know there's definitely an understanding of what politicians do in terms of, you know, legislation and community outreach, but it would be really interesting to hear from you a little bit about what your day to day looks like. Yeah, so I think it's a great question, and it's 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 hard to answer uh, in my role because, frankly, the day to day, you know, the the my job really changes day to day, and that's part of what I love about being the state rep. This is a very dynamic job, so of course, there are kind of the the cornerstone policy issues that each state legislator works on. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of work on environmental justice. I do a lot of work to try to. Um, provide universal uh, child care to all families, regardless of ability to pay, as well as a whole host of other issues, you know, whether it's supporting our immigrant community or housing. So we all kind of have our legislative agenda. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's in part, you know, kind of show our values through the, the, the issues that we work on legislatively, as well as the issues that we tackle through the budget. And those are, I think, the, the things that are constants day to day, Lauren. But, you know, what, What's dynamic about it is I could be doing things like a, an interview for first generation folks who attend the law school on any given day. I could be meeting with advocates from East Boston or from any corner of the Commonwealth about any issue under the sun. Um, you know, in normal times when we're not in a pandemic, I would be able to attend ribbon cuttings and various things in the community where we're celebrating, um, you know, milestones, whether it's a new business, a 50th anniversary, a hundredth birthday. Um, I mean, you name it, you know, and, and, uh, the fact that it's so dynamic and, and changing, I think, is really exciting because you never know what a day is going to bring. And on the flip side, you never know the issues that folks uh, will have. So any given day, I could be fielding constituent issues that, you know, range from quality of life issues that, you know, may sound minor, but are really important, like a street light is out or there's a pothole that needs to be fixed or, you know, there's a tree that needs to be replaced or people are concerned about a development or you know, much more, you know, uh, significant issues that impact people's li lives, like people who are housing or food insecure, people who are struggling with um, finding gainful employment, um, you name it. And uh, the fact that I, I, I get to handle such a diversity of issues, the fact that I get to interact with such a diverse array of figures across the Commonwealth, 
Um, I, I just love that my day to day is is different and it's it's just very exciting and it keeps it keeps me fresh and energized. It sounds super fun. I, I love the idea of how dynamic your your daily life is and just the sheer amount of community involvement you get to do in so many different capacities. Um, you did use the word dynamic a lot, and I guess that makes me wonder, how is your work-life balance impacted by how different your day-to-day looks like? <laughs> um, work-life balance is really difficult. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of folks in office, you know, would uh, um, would probably say the same thing. I mean, you know, there, there are certainly sacrifices when you make a decision to run for office. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, and I come from a, a big Italian family and family, you know, there's really nothing more important to me than family. Uh, but I have found myself, you know, missing different things, um, things that I would never miss, like little cousins, birthday parties or things of that nature, because I'm committed to attend something on a Saturday or a Sunday or a morning or an evening. Um, you know, this really is a 24 seven operation. And, uh, you know, I, I got to give a lot of credit to to my wife, Arielle. We met as undergrads at Tufts University. So she saw the whole transformation of me as, you know, an undergrad uh, to now as the state rep. So she certainly knew what she was getting herself into. But, um, you know, it does mean less time with her. Uh, there have been times when we've had to um, cancel plans, cut trips short, uh, various things come up. I, you know, there's, there's an emergency vote called. Um, where we had to cut a vacation short because I, I didn't want to miss a vote. It was for transgender rights. And that was important that I was on the record for. And, you know, there are sacrifices. But at the end of the day, you know, it, I think you have to look at it through the lens that it's for the greater good. And, you know, we have this this duty, this moral obligation once you're elected to do right by your constituents, to not miss votes, to make sure you're present at the little and the big things in the community and, uh, and that's, you know, what we try to do. And, you know, my wife is due to give birth May 14th. So, you know, I'm about to enter a new chapter in my life, uh, uh, becoming a father. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about work-life balance um, because I certainly want to be a present dad and, and be there for, for my son or daughter. Um, and, you know, it's something that Ariel and I have been talking a lot about. And, and, and I do see, you know, the challenges that life in elected office presents. However, uh, we adjust, we figure it out, and we keep moving forward. Um, and, you know, for me, it's it's always been figuring out how to balance things. I, I finished law school as the state rep, right? So uh, I did it through the evenings and, 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 and whatnot. And, you know, you, you just make it work, even if it, even if it sacrifices sleep and, and, and other things in your personal life. Well, first of all, congratulations. That is such exciting news. So excited for you both um, and best of luck. I, it sounds like you've got everything under control. I hope so. <laughs> Super excited for you, your wife and your your little one incoming. That's really great. Um, and you've also made it so clear already in this conversation that your job is just the most rewarding thing, which is always great to hear. Um, but I'm definitely interested to know, you know, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your career and on the flip side what makes it challenging so i'll start with the latter point first because i think it, it's consistent with what we were just talking about the most challenging part is probably striking a real work-life balance uh, because you know family and friends they reinvigorate me they re-energize me um, they keep me grounded uh in, in many ways and it really is critical, no matter what field you're in, to carve out space for you uh, and 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 for those things that are important to you. Um, and that can be challenging when you're in the public life. Um, 
I think, you know, another thing that is challenging when you're in elected office and you're constantly in the public eye, you, you know, every decision that any of us make, you know, you make some people happy and you make some people angry. And particularly in local politics, it, it can become very, very personal. Right. And, um, you know, people might say something to my mom or to my wife or, you know, I mean, to me, it's fair game. So it is what it is. But, uh, you know, and, and I, I think sometimes it's we have to remind ourselves that even though they can be very personal attacks, that we shouldn't take it personally because um, people are just upset with a position that we may have taken and, you know, they're expressing it in, in the way that they express things. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> you know, day turns to night, a new day begins and, 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 and the world keeps turning and, and life goes on. Um, that being said, those challenges uh, I mean, I think the rewarding part of the job far outshines the challenges because um, I think the most rewarding thing about my job is that I get to help my neighbors each and every day, whether it's those smaller quality of life things I mentioned or those larger things that are really, um, really impactful uh, in terms of keeping our, our beautiful, diverse community whole and, and, and taken care of. And um, any time that I get to resolve a constituent issue, uh, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel really positive, right? I feel like I'm doing right by my constituents. Anytime um, I'm able to advance key legislation that impacts my constituents of the state more broadly, I, I feel really positive about that. So, um, you know, there is a lot of, of rewarding. Uh, there's a lot of, of feelings of reward in this business. And um, I'm the eternal optimist, Lauren. So I always look for the silver lining on things. And uh, that has kind of helped to keep me moving forward, even in the challenging days. Understood. Well, speaking of, so I know you mentioned um, that part of your job is, is taking positions on things maybe some or all of your constituents agree with or don't. Um, how has having your JD impacted those decisions and impacted your career? I think it's a great question. And I think that, you know, there's a there's a good reason why so many legislators are attorneys. Uh, it's certainly, you know, I would never say it's necessary because there are colleagues of mine that come from all walks of life finance, development, you know, there's, there's a, a colleague of mine who was an ER doctor, um, you know, nonprofit background, small business owners, you name it. But uh, certainly there is a, a, a significant uh, group of us that are attorneys. And, um, you know, the law, going to law school and studying the law, it, it teaches you a certain way to analyze uh, really complex, difficult problems from multiple angles. Um, it allows, it, it provides you, it equips you with the tools to um, effectively express yourself, whether in the oral word or written word. Um, and I think, you know, importantly, when you're uh, dealing with legislation, it allows you to uh, write legislation that is inherently uh, uh, written with legalese, right? It allows you to uh, really dive into what can be kind of a, a convoluted looking piece of legislation and really understand what's going on. And for me, um, part of why, you know, after I ran for office and became the state rep, I was I was so um, I was I was so set on going back to law school and finishing that law degree and becoming barred was uh, I, I felt fundamentally, Lauren, that if I'm going to be in the business of making laws that impact people's lives in really profound ways, I should really have a good understanding of the law and and how to best leverage it to benefit my constituents. So. You know, that's what I try to use my JD for right now. Um, I, I have never had the opportunity to practice uh, as a lawyer because I was already the state rep when I was going to law school. 
Uh, but certainly, you know, I, I realize that, I'm, you know, this is but one chapter in my life and I will not be the state rep forever. And I look forward to using my law degree uh, in other in other applications in the future. And I think the beautiful thing about, you know, having a law degree is there are just so many applications where you can leverage your law degree to do good. And, and that's exactly what I intend to do with it now and in the future. That makes perfect sense. Um, that's such a great answer. Um, I'm sure that's why many of your colleagues also have their JDs and, and went through the same thing, knowing the law to make the law. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> um, since you mentioned it, I would like to ask you, so one, I, this is a two-part question, I would say. What is the typical longevity of a career in politics? And for you, where do you see yourself in five years from now? You have a lot of great questions, Lauren. So, I mean, I, I think I think that, you know, they're not, there isn't necessarily a typical length for a political career. I think for each person, it's different. And there are different considerations that go into it. Family, um, feeling of accomplishment and, and different, you know, cornerstone issues that, you know, anyone might be working on. Um, so I love my job. I, you know, I, I hope you can tell. Um, and, you know, I certainly have no plans to go anywhere, uh, you know, anytime soon, because I think that, you know, I, I really, I firmly believe that I have a lot, uh, a, a lot of, of, of things left to accomplish um, that I set out as goals when I first ran in 2015 that I'm still working on and that I, I want to see through um, and, and really follow through on the commitments I made to, you know, my neighbors in East Boston who uh, put me into office at such a young age and believed in my vision for the community. And I don't want to leave this role until I feel like I've, I've accomplished, uh, you know, some of those things that I set out to do. Um, where I see myself in five years, you know, I, I really couldn't say, uh, you know, the, the approach I've always taken to life is that, you know, life, you, I would have never, if you had asked me five years before running for office, what I would be doing in five years, I probably wouldn't have said uh, I'll be the state representative because, you know, life works in funny ways. You never know when opportunities will arise, when doors, unexpected uh, doors, especially might open. Um, and so, I mean, I think just good advice for anyone uh, in any career path is, is keep an open mind and, um, you know, always build that network because good things can come out of, uh, out of expanding your network and staying in contact with your network. And um, you never know when a special opportunity might come. And, uh, you know, it's really important that when those opportunities do come, even if you're dealing with imposter syndrome or, or feelings of self-doubt, that you, you walk through that door and you at least... Um, take advantage of the opportunity to have a conversation and explore different things. So we'll see where I am in five years. One thing I will, I do know is uh, I will be a father and I'm really excited about that. And um, hopefully uh, whether I'll, you know, whether it's uh, being the state rep or, you know, doing something else in elected office or doing something, you know, altogether different in a different, um, in a different, uh, you know, career path. Uh, I, I hope that I'll be doing something that uh, contributes to society in a positive way that helps people um, and that stays true to my values. Well, that's amazing. Uh, I just, uh, it's so inspiring to hear you talk about your, your career um, and your future, even not knowing where you want to be. I know that's a question that law students get all the time in interviews and elsewhere. You know, where do you want to be in five years? Um, it's good to know that someone as successful and accomplished as you can say, I don't know yet. And that's okay. Cause we don't either. We really don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
So I just want to shift gears one more time um, because I know you are a first generation law student as well. Um, I think a really important question for us to ask you is how has your experience as a first generation law student impacted both your career as well as, you know, your studies when you were in law school and afterwards? I mean, I think it's a really good question, um, particularly for first generation students, because oftentimes we don't have family or potentially, you know, a network to lean on uh, to look for, you know, sound advice and wisdom about other people's experiences. So um, I was the first in, in my family, both in my dad's family, and he, you know, he's the one who, who's an immigrant from Italy, but as well as my mom's family, who are of Italian descent, but they, they are deeply rooted in East Boston. I was the first you know, person to go to law school on either side. Um, so I didn't have um, you know, the opportunity to touch base with family members, to uh, gauge them on their experiences and vice and wisdom. Um, but I think it touches back on an earlier point we discussed, which is you know, the importance of networking and of finding mentors. I did have mentors in my life who did go to law school before me, um, who were uh, involved in, the pol in political life before I was. Uh, who could answer my questions, disp dispel uh, concerns or myths or, or you know, um, challenges that I dealt with. And, you know, I, I, I encourage folks to never be shy to seek out those mentors because we've all been in a place where we've been mentored. And many of us who have relied on mentors in the past uh, always look for opportunities to mentor others. Um, so, I mean, I offer this to anyone at Suffolk Law or anyone who's listening, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never shy about uh, sharing my own experiences, offering advice. Uh, so I, I would encourage anyone to please never hesitate to reach out if I can ever be a resource for folks, because we do all need folks to, um, you know, look to uh, have conversations with, particularly those of us who are first generation. Um, but I, I think to answer the latter part of your question in terms of kind of how it shaped the understanding of uh, the legal world, I mean, I think first generation uh, students have a really unique perspective. Uh, for me, I, I grew up uh, very biculturally in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm in close contact and communication with all of my dad's relatives in Italy. Um, and, you know, there are very different ways to look at the world and, and, and approach issues uh, that might not be the prevailing ways we approach things here in the United States. And having a more global outlook, uh, a better understanding of how different problems are addressed in different places that can only strengthen you. Having a more diversified viewpoint can only be to your advantage. So um, never be shy about uh, uh, leaning on uh, that as well. Well, thank you so much for that offer to speak to our listeners. That's so kind of you. And that is a really great answer and an excellent segue to our final question. We always like to ask, um, and perhaps you've already touched on this and want to reiterate, or perhaps you have a different idea you'd like to share. But our last question for you is just, if you have your best piece of advice for any first-generation law students who are listening, who are interested in going into politics? So I, I do want to harken back to some of the things that we that we already touched on, Lauren, because I think imposter syndrome is, is probably particularly acute for first-generation students. Um, and just as, you know, the, the sense of, like, the, the question of, like, do I belong in this space, right? I mean, I, I, certainly that's something that I felt, and I know uh, many of my friends who are first-generation dealt with that same feeling. Um, and, and I do think that the best advice I can give is reach out to folks, um, leverage your network, um, identify mentors who may have similar, uh, lived experiences as you or not. Um, but, uh, what I can say definitively is that you are not alone, right. And that, 
um, and that you are not the first person to have those feelings. And so uh, if I, once again, if I can be a resource, if folks ever want to bounce things off me, um, you know, I don't want anyone to ever hesitate to reach out. Uh, but it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be an elected official. It doesn't need to be anyone who has kind of a leadership role. Uh, it can be anyone uh, that you're comfortable with. Um, as long as you have a listening ear and someone who you think uh, has valuable advice to offer, those are the type of individuals that I seek. Um, and and uh, I mean, just I'll put it out there uh, just in case folks do want to uh, reach out to me. Um, you know, please never hesitate. My email is Adrian. Dot madero at mahouse.gov. That's A-D-R-I-A-N dot madero, M-A-D-A-R-O at mahouse.gov. Uh, I would welcome uh, your, your communication. And uh, I, again, please don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to talk about law school, politics, or anything else. Amazing. Representative Madero, it has been a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you today. I'm so glad we were able to get you on for an episode. Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you, Lauren. And I just have to have to express gratitude for your uh, willingness to have me on. And also, uh, just congratulations on launching this podcast. I think this is so cool. Um, and beyond that, I think this is, this is a podcast like this, Lauren, helps us break down those barriers that we've been discussing today and helps build a community for first-generation folks uh, to lean on each other, to learn from each other, uh, and to have these important conversations. So thank you for the opportunity. It has been a privilege to be with you today. Thank you. First Gen would like to thank Representative Madero again for his time and enthusiasm in joining us on the show. This episode would not be possible without the help of Dean Andrew Perlman and Senior VP John Nucci. Thank you so much for the connections. And of course, Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in to another episode of First Hand from First Gen. Catch you next time.